Hey everyone, welcome back. In this episode, we have a very, very special guest, Justin Kramer, who you really have to admire, not only because he's quite accomplished in the commercial space, but also because he's one of those people whose words truly come from a place of experience and lots of practical knowledge. Justin is a filmmaker, first and foremost, but also he's a director, a writer, a producer, who worked on multiple projects for HBO, CNN, MTV, and many more. He's also a father, a husband, and the CEO of The Film House, which is a production company in Doha. In this episode, Justin talks about his childhood growing up, moving to Doha and continuing his career here, his inspiration, and much more. I think this is an insightful episode, a fun and entertaining one, so make sure you stay tuned until the end, and yeah, I hope you like it. Yeah, welcome to the show, yeah. Justin. Uh, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on. I have to admit, I listened to the last podcast. Okay. And I was oh. incredibly intimidated coming on. <laughs> I was like, okay, I have to follow up someone who is like an absolute genius talking about psychology and semiotics and all these things. And I was like, what am I going to talk about? <laughs> I don't even know. But, <laughs> but I'm, I'm very happy to be on. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, mm. Honestly, I... So, okay, so... I, I want to, like, kind of introduce... Like, I want you to introduce yourself and, like, talk about yourself. And I'm actually really interested in your story because I feel like we both... You know, we both met at a certain time in our lives where it's, like, it's the present. And we... And I'm really interested in who you are as Justin. You know, like... You, you're American, you lived in the US. And so I'm, I'm interested in like your story growing up in the US and like what were your what was your childhood like? What were your dreams growing up? And like, what did you want to do? Um, I mean, how long is this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> as long as you want to be. Okay. Uh, okay, yeah, I mean, my name is Justin Kramer. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born and raised in New Jersey, um, which is just about two hours south of New York. Um, my childhood was awesome um i grew up my uh i grew up on a farm essentially uh we had you know every kind of animal you can imagine we had like 13 dogs at all times Uh, my dad would bring home random animals from auctions and we had a we had a pig that lived in our bathroom in our house at one point we had chinchillas (laughs) and turkey and you know everything you could imagine it's like a funny farm you know um so i had a really cool Cool childhood, and uh, my grandfather was a was an artist. He was a very famous, well, famous. I mean, he was a really well accomplished calligrapher, and uh, and he worked in printing presses and all these kind of things. So growing up, I was really interested in art. Um, my father, he's a well driller. Uh, he's a very like big, strong manual labor type guy my brothers are the same and i was the middle child so i was very different than them and i went the route of art so i would go and study art with my grandfather and we i would go to art school and lessons and all these kind of things and um and i think that really informed my future in a way i didn't realize it at the time but you know visual language was very important to me um and then as i grew up you know, as a teenager, I had very little ambition. <laughs> I, was, uh, okay. I was very much like, you know, I wanted to party. I was really into music. I thought, you know, I thought I would be a musician. You're making that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then later I thought I'd be a poet. And then I thought I'd be all these different things. 
And it wasn't until um, my parents bought me a, a video camera. Oh, okay. um, I can't remember what year it was. I must have been like 15, 16 years old. And I, I didn't have much money. And I was very much interested in going to concerts every time I got a chance. So I thought, okay, what's the best way to go to concerts for free? And I would start um. writing to all the bands and the record labels of the ones I liked. And I'd say, listen, I have a camera. Give me a f backstage pass or, you know, just free entry and I'll film your show for free. Oh, my God. Okay. So I would. Oh. So I started. That's how I started, really. And I, you know, it was a lot of like punk bands. And, you know, my favorite band at the time was Kid Dynamite. They were a Philly band. And. I was filming with them and then I was filming with people like uh, Snapcase and H2O and these sort of like punk hardcore bands. And that sort of like became more and more like, wow, you know, this is something I could yeah, probably yeah. do. And I assume like, sorry to interrupt, but I assume at that time nobody had, like there weren't a lot of professionals who were sh shooting these uh, concerts. No, there was no one. There was, no never, one. there was never anyone at these concerts like filming them. There were a lot of photographers and mm -hmm. stuff. And I'm, you know, obviously I was not a professional mm -hmm. under any... Was it a film camera or was it a no, digital it was video. Camera? It was like really early days of, um, what was it? High 8. So it was, oh, it was okay. a Sony yeah. High 8 camera that I got. And it was like one of the first like sort of camcorders. Oh, so you had the little screen. Yeah, like a prosumer camcorder. And it had like, you know, the, the most interesting function it had was that you could add on-screen text. So of course, like oh. whenever I was filming my friends, I would put something really offensive on the screen, and they would have, they'd have no idea that it was there so until they saw it later. Okay. Uh, so funny. But yeah, then I, you know, I took I took like uh, media courses in high school, and then I was just a loser for a while, and I was working in a in a warehouse uh, in a freezer where I would drive forklifts for uh, fresh cut flowers oh, from really? around the world. Really. <laughs> And I, you know, I had no, I was in a band at the time, but I, again, had no ambition. But uh, I, I had a girlfriend at the time who, she wasn't very happy with my lifestyle okay. at the time. And she <laughs> said, listen, I'm moving to New York. I'm going to go to school in New York. I was already, I had graduated high school, like, you know, three or four years before that. College was like. I was way too punk rock for college. I was like, no one, I don't need a piece of paper to tell me I know how to do something. But but I guess at that time it was valuable, right? Like when was this? I mean, uh, I graduated high school in 2001. Okay. So actually, yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Everybody was going to college. I just was like, no way, I want to party. Uh -huh. I want to just hang out. And uh, yeah, but she said, look, if, if you want to, if you want to make this work, you're gonna have to move to New York with me, and I was like, well, "What? What the hell am I gonna do there? Like, I don't know anyone in New York." Um, and she, I was just like, "Okay, cool." And, yeah, and then I was like, "Oh, maybe there. I'll maybe I'll go to school. Maybe I'll finally go to school." And and I found a film school in Tribeca, and I decided to enroll, and I started there. And then, within my first semester of university. I, I got a job working with Tribeca Film Festival, okay. filming all the red carpets oh. and all the movie premieres and stuff like that. And uh, then I really didn't need to go to school anymore, but I decided to finish <laughs> it. And I, I went through with it because I was the first person in my family to ever go to university and get a degree. And, oh, 
Really? Yeah, That's and then uh, and then I, you know, I started working for MTV and HBO and VH1 and all these networks. Yeah, I I saw that actually. I mean, it's amazing, man. You've you've, you've done a lot, honestly. It's, um, yeah, it was a wild ride, and then, you know, and then I, I was working for Tribeca Film Festival. Uh, in 2009, we got a call that they were going to start a film festival in Doha. And they asked me and a couple of my friends and people I knew from New York to come out and help get it off the ground. I'm, I came here not knowing. Well, actually, exactly. I didn't even know it was that's, in the Middle East. That's also, also what I wanted to ask. Okay, so that's your like life in the U.S., yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and okay, so there was this big shift where you, you had to move into like from like like the total west into the like opposite east right <laughs> yeah. like and at that time probably doha wasn't doha right now you know the world wasn't as you know it wasn't as like you know like as you know like established as it, as it is now and it's still obviously developing it's still growing and so um th- like that is something that like I-, I wanted like to ask like how, how did you feel like with this big shift you know a totally different culture different language different people I mean, it's it's just a different world over here. You know? well, I mean, do, I mean, maybe now it's similar a little bit more, but yeah, a little bit. I mean, well, so I have to admit, I didn't know I was coming to the Middle East. Okay. When they called me, <laughs> I was quite inebriated, and uh, and they said, you know, we we want you to go to Doha to for this mm-hmm. festival, and I said, yeah, like cool, I'm going. And then the next day, they called and they said, okay, send us your passport scan. And I said, I don't even have a passport. Why would I need a passport? And they're like, you're going to Doha. And I'm like, well, where the, where's Doha? Yeah, yeah. And they're like, it's in Qatar. I'm like, what, what the fuck is Qatar? Like, I've never even heard of this place. And they're like, it's near Saudi Arabia. I was like, what did I agree to? <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, but then I, I was like, cool, you know, it's an experience. And I went with my best friend, uh, this guy Manuel. He's a Puerto Rican guy from New York. And we came together, and, okay. and that made it easy for me okay. because I was like, "It's you gonna had be somebody with yeah. you, 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 who you knew." And like, exactly, yeah. And and we arrived, and the next day we started work, um, and we were working out of the Museum of Islamic Art. Okay. And obviously, I was I was like a fish out of water here because I was probably at the time the only man in Qatar who had hair down to here, covered in tattoos, like just looked like a total freak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so people thought I was insane, you know, that I was getting looks in the supermarket like I was the devil, you know? Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. Oh, what is up with all these people? Yeah. I'm like totally normal, yeah. but I wasn't. But actually my first day of work, I met my now wife. It was her first day of work too. That's awesome. Oh. We met and uh, once my contract ended, it, at the end of the year, I was going back and I went back to New York and I was like, I need to find a way to get back there because I want to be with this girl, you okay. know? And, and, oh. and then I got a call and they said they were going to start a film institute and they wanted me to come and teach filmmaking workshops. So I was like, yes, down, I'm down. Whatever, I'll come, I'll be a janitor. I don't care, I'm going, I want to <laughs> be with this girl. And then I, you know, that was, that was sort yeah, of the launch point. And then, yeah, and then next thing you know, I opened a company here and now it's uh, flourishing working with like worldwide, you know, organizations like Qatar Airways, Al Jazeera, and very large institutions. And you told me like there, there hasn't been like a like a continent that you haven't shot. Yeah, uh, we, have, we have officially shot on every continent on Earth, even Antarctica. Oh, my God. That's crazy. I'm, I'm really curious, though, like wh- when you first arrived to, to Qatar, was there any other filmmaker that you, you encounter and that you get to like 
No, no there filmmakers. Was, there wasn't even a film in... There was no... Film was not a profession here. Um, and there were no filmmakers. So that was sort of like what our mandate was when they started the Institute, was to, to give these workshops and empower local people to take filmmaking as... Well, it wasn't really for a profession at first. It was more like to, to give them the education and the skills to tell their stories mm. in, mm. you know, the visual landscape. And, um, and it was really cool because, you know, all these people had amazing stories. It doesn't matter where you're from or your background or anything. Like, everyone has a story to tell or, you know, imagination. So it was very interesting for me to work with these young people. And they, they knew nothing about film, but... You know, over time, it started. People started to get more savvy. People started to understand the industry, and we slowly but surely built up the industry. I mean, there were there were production oh. companies here. Mm-hmm. There's one like Resolution Films. Yeah. They were here way before I got here, um, but they were you know only servicing the local commercial market, and they weren't really trying to raise the bar or do anything outstanding mm. because there was no competition. Mm. So they didn't have to do great stuff. They could just do what they were doing because no one else was doing it. And then when we started this company, it was very much like, we want to make world-renowned, international quality films here. Not just film, like commercials, films, corporate, music videos, whatever. But to a level that you would expect in the States or in Europe or in, you know, parts of Asia that had like, you know, hundreds of years of cinema experience. Um, and that was really what I wanted to do. And, and it, it happened sort of organically. And it actually, this thing actually started uh, with me and my partner in crime, Omar Khalifa. Yeah. Uh, oh, we're going to have hopefully soon on the show. Yeah, you should. He's good. Yeah, yeah he's awesome. I, I would say working over there for so many years, have, have, do you think that your, your uh, like, like how we talked about in, in the previous episode, like semiotics, ha- have you ever thought about your your visual style being affected by Qatar or or do like the way that you because you've been technically you got better in filmmaking while you're in Qatar right like you you improved while you're working there so where do you get your inspiration do you do uh, look at inspiration uh, on the internet and looking at how other people do it in the US or do you kind of develop your own visual language while you're uh, living under the culture of Qatar. Um, and yeah, uh, also, be, like before you answer, I wanted to build off of what Kai said. Is like, I also, when I looked at your work, right, at your website, and I, I could notice this like kind of mixture and combination between this like kind of Eastern style and at the same time, that work has been adapted into, you know, Qatar's and Eastern culture traditions and actors because you have to, right? Yeah. You have to bring Qatari actors. You have to bring, you know, you have to bring Eastern Arabic music at some point and you have to work within the realms of the how the culture is structured now and so it's really interesting how your work is you know kind of you know displayed in a way that is you know like combines this mixture between this like western style and eastern style and creates this unique voice honestly well, so, i appreciate that i never, yeah, really, yeah, yeah, I yeah, never yeah, really thought about it to so how did that come about yeah. you know like i mean i would say okay when it comes to influences mm-hmm. like you know i all my life i've been interested in art you know, you know, the traditional styles of art, painting and drawing and sculpting and things like that, but also photography, um, filmmaking, you know, any kind of visual language and, and art form I, I'm always very interested in. And um, I would say 
where do I draw reference? Anywhere. Everywhere and anything. Like, I'm very... I like to think that I have a photographic memory as well. I have zero ability to remember dates or time or, you know, age I was at certain... when certain things happen. But I can recall images from when I was a child with great clarity. So, you know, down to the shadows in images and... You know, I don't know if it's like a defect in my brain, <laughs> which maybe which maybe influences it a bit. But I think, uh, you know, now if if we're talking about very direct, uh, where do I draw a reference? I mean, I love Instagram. I'm a I'm an Instagram oh. junkie. <laughs> uh, you know, I I have like you know the little save function, and I have like little folders of stuff. I've one of fashion, one of shadows, one of documentary, one of and I. I love just looking at images and I have a huge book collection like photography books and and uh, you know filmmaker books and stuff like this but I don't know I mean I, I think I just if I see a beautiful image I, I respect it and I appreciate it and I hope that I can sort of achieve the same I would also say that nowadays I don't watch many films and I don't watch much TV or anything like that because I find I did a I did a course with Werner Herzog called the Rogue Film School. Okay. Uh, he's you know the most, in my opinion, the most important documentary filmmaker ever. Um, he's made you know I don't know, probably a hundred films now. Uh, most famous for Grizzly Man and and these and um, you know lots of films with like Klaus Kinski and but anyway. Mm. I did a course with him and he's he's notoriously insane and uh, he said I mean he, he even said like I don't watch films because I don't want them to subconsciously leak into my work I want my work to be mm-hmm. unique to my own voice and I, I really believe that and I believe that the more you watch films even if you don't mean to they you find that popping up in your writing you know something you've seen uh, or a, or a frame yes. or a style sure. or something like that and it, and it can be by accident but and I don't think there's anything wrong with paying homage to what's been done but I do think that if you're gonna have a unique voice you have to get away as much as possible exactly so that's why I think alternative sources of inspiration are great that's why I think photography is so important to me because mm-hmm. a still image can say so much more than a moving image in my opinion Mm -hmm. because you are left to decide what that picture means there's no there's no one talking and telling you what to think or there's not a filmmaker's uh sort of voice on that where it's like you know he's it's expositional or you know it's in line with uh you know the cinematic devices where you set up and pay off like I I love photographers like William Eggleston and Joel Sternfeld like there's this one image that I love particularly it's it's um it's a house that's on fire and it's in the background and in the foreground is a like a roadside stand where they're selling pumpkins and there's a firefighter standing there holding a pumpkin like looking at these pumpkins while this house burns down in the background Mm. and for me like that image is so strong and it's so like 
I want to know everything there is to know about that picture. And I feel like that picture does more for me than an, a two-hour film that's neatly wrapped in a package and has a bow at the end and you know what you're supposed to feel. Yeah. So... Okay, oh. that's that's. I don't know if I I might have gotten off track. No, no, no. no, no. Th that's actually so interesting because it kind of proved the 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 idea of less is more. It's like you don't want that much information because you want to give like a space for people to imagine instead of just feeding feeding them all the information that they you want them to think. Uh, Kai, do you right? know that, that I think that yeah. there's a concept called curiosity gap, right? And that that is used in science yes. and physics and chemistry. Yes. And a lot of things and it's also used individual arts and what you do is that yeah. you show the audience something and then you leave the rest empty for them to kind of put in the pieces together and fill in the gap right like the picture yeah. about the the pumpkin that you said and and a lot of yeah. successful photographers they take that concept and apply it and that's why their 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 stories are amazing for instance they show you kind of half half a person or they show you you know a picture of an umbrella and you kind of don't see what's below it and they play with light and shadows to hide things and this concept is like mm. absolutely amazing uh and it's something that gives like a lot of like your work gives it so much more depth and you know meaning than it actually could have you know because you can you can allow for a lot more possibilities than you would have right and yeah i also like going back to your idea about like uh, I also think I am a visual person as well, right? Like remembering things and I also remember things in, I don't know about you Kai, but like I also remember things in mm -hmm. the form of imagery, right? And I also have folders on Instagram of like, whenever I see some, I'm following like all different artists and all different people and people that actually like, every time I see them, I just save the picture and I look at it later. And I, there's something I like about this image. It's like, I like the lighting on this image. I like the shadows here. I like how this, that guy was stressed. I like the color, the art direction, everything like, uh, I like like there's always something that I like about image and whenever I see that I just save that image and I can have these libraries and yeah I don't know like what, what's it like for you Kai like where do you also um... I, I, I do these kind of practices back before like I used to save a lot of stuff just because I I, I, I wasn't sure what did I like before and I when I was in, in, in university I tend to look at a lot of stuff just because I want to know more about myself like I wasn't really trying to get inspiration because like I watched the film, I really liked the film, but I was like, okay, it's a good film, but what, what did I like about it? So I started to look at cinematographies and then I, I think I, I saw it from, from Chris Doe. Like he, he said that you have to, even if you just like an image, you have to really pinpoint what is it about this image that you like. For example, do you like the color? Do you like the shadow or s s certain elements of the film, uh, of, of the image? So then when I, when I look at all of the images that I like, I can know, okay, I like shadow, I like, I don't know, this neon style and stuff. And eventually I could develop my own style based on all of these certain elements that I like from, from these specific pictures. But then after a while, I just start stop looking at too much stuff. Just uh, actually kind of similar to you, like uh, Justin, like I don't want to get affected by too much other people's ideas. Like even if I came up with my own original ideas, I mean, what I then I thought it was my own original ideas. Actually, like a million people have thought about it before already, but I would like to think that I'm the first one who ever thought about it. And so I can execute it in a way that I'm not affected by anyone, even if it's kind of similar to other people, but I want like zero effect uh, from other people. Like I, I just wanted to know how it's like, if I were to be the first one who, who did it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. it, you know, it, it comes back to that saying that no idea is original anymore. Yeah. And, original. But, yeah. but I, I don't agree with that because I think that 
an idea is almost always original as long as you're not directly copying something you've already seen. Like if yeah. you if yeah. you intend to copy something, then yes, of course, there's it's not an original idea. But but the way that you do it, you'll never be able to copy the masters. You know, the masters mm. they did their own thing, and even if you are the most technically savvy person in the world, there will be mm. something missing. There will always be something that's slightly different. That's why I really love like unconventional framing. Like even in documentary, I would rather see like that part of someone's face than you know a, a traditional sit-down interview like the one w the one we're doing yeah, now. Yeah. You know, I think that that. Yeah. I think well, I mean, <laughs> not, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about in films, in films. Yeah, but you know, and I think also like there, there's things to be said about the way that you capture an image, um, for example, if you see in, in really great films, in times of great turmoil for a character, I would rather see them from behind mm. than see their face. Because mm. seeing their face, again, is exposition. If the character's crying, you know what you're trying to tell the audience to feel. Mm. Seeing them from behind leaves that open to interpretation. And it, depending on the frame style, obviously, if you shoot it very wide, the possibilities in front of them are endless. So it's sort of the metaphor of that, rather than boxing them in and seeing them crying and knowing that we're supposed to feel that they're sad and for some reason we should feel sad, I would rather feel that anything can happen from this point onward so mm. yeah and also i like really weird films okay <laughs> i mean my one of my favorite mm. filmmakers is harmony corinne so my one of my favorite films of all time is called gummo which really ultimately if you've ever if you see it or if you watch it after this i mean first of all i'll have to give the disclaimer that you will be disturbed it is a very disturbing <laughs> film um uh -huh. It's loose. The, the plot is loosely that there was this tornado in this small town in Ohio, and it's just the people in this town. It's almost like a documentary. There's only like one or two real actors. He casted the entire film in a Walmart parking lot in an afternoon. Okay. And it's very, very strange. It is v like next level bizarre. But I love this and I love the style that he does this in and the way that he lets stories sort of organically happen and it's almost like vignettes rather than a plot. Mm -hmm. But then on the flip side of that, one of my other favorite films of all time is Jaws, so okay. which is like oh, Hollywood classic. as Hollywood, <laughs> but because I feel that Jaws is the only film that ever changed the world. Mm. And by mm. that, I mean no one sharks weren't a scary thing before jaws came out oh, right? and as soon as jaws right. came out people were terrified to go in the water and people went out fishermen went out and killed sharks by the thousands to the point where spielberg had to go out and publicly beg people to stop killing sharks but even to this oh day God. if you've seen jaws even if you haven't seen jaws and you go into the ocean in your head, in the back of your head, you hear, da -na, da -da -da -da. <laughs> you know what I mean? So for me, this, yeah, yeah. this movie changed the collective psychology of the world. 
and it's so powerful. You don't see the shark for more than a, two minutes in the entire film. It's it's ridiculous uh-huh. when you think about it because it's a, you know, they had this animatronic shark that didn't work, and like when you know about like the background of this film, it was a disaster. But uh-huh. for me, it, it's incredible because it changed me, and I have the movie poster tattooed on my thigh. The whole my whole of my oh. thigh is the Jaws movie. Jaws. <laughs> I, th- I think Spielberg is one of those directors that can like affect like the most largest targeted audience in the world like he really could like you ha- would have a, ch- a child watch the film and he would be you know influenced by it, and then he would have a really like old person watch the film and i haven't seen as many filmmakers who can you know well, i mean he's that. he's got hollywood he's got the formula down you yeah know, like it, <laughs> he's a master i mean i don't like a lot of his films okay. I, i'm not huge into a lot of hollywood films but you know, I think Jaws, I mean, there's a handful, obviously, that are incredible. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know why I'm talking about this, but... Uh, no, I actually wanted to add, like, the the, the idea that you mentioned earlier, the, the fact that, like, you, you kind of give the audience certain space to imagine things. I feel like the benefit of that is that when people can think by themselves, there's kind of more discussion around the, the film. Because when, when you just give them everything, then... You know, there are times like me, me and my wife, we like to go watch film almost every week before. And there are films that after we watch it, we just we don't talk about it anymore. Like we just go back home and we never talked about it again, like like Fast and Furious or, you know, those type of movies. But <laughs> but there are films that we just like we talk about it for days. Like we literally debate about certain aspects just because the director decided not to show it in the film. Then we'll be like, yes, yes, yes I think it's because of that. And because we saw certain things. But even though there's like the, this debate, I feel like that's the point of the film. They want you to talk about it and they want people to have different ideas about it. Like it's not always like, uh, uh, you don't always need a fact from those films, right? Of course. I mean, you know, every, every yeah. filmmaker, if you go to film school, you're taught the hero's journey. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's like mm-hmm. the basis of, you know, almost every film, especially like the Star Wars films. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I... As much as I, I learned that and I understand that and I, I know the importance of it, I like to throw that out. Like I, I would prefer a story that jumps around and is, doesn't follow the traditional story making, I mean filmmaking, you know, repertoire. Like it's, it's just, it gets stale, you know? I mean, how many times have you watched a movie and you go, okay, I know what's gonna happen next. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter how hard the filmmaker tries, you know what's coming, and you know when someone's gonna die, and you know when, you know, someone's gonna pop out from around a corner and scare you. You know, it's like, uh, there are these sort of cliches in film that you can't escape, but at the same time, you know, I understand the importance of these films as well, because films, in essence, were always meant for escapism Mm. and this is to go and sit in a cinema for an hour and a half two hours and escape your life go into a Mm. fantasy go into a new world experience something that will make you forget about your work from the day or your stresses or your you know the depression you're in or any of these things it's for that's why marvel movies are so successful because so Mm. much of this world is so fucking depressing yeah 
So people <laughs> want to go and they want to watch Spider-Man swing around and save the day uh, <laughs> for a couple yeah. hours so that they can forget that there's a war going on or there's a famine or that I mean, and there's also people that aren't that deep thinkers too. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they just don't. <laughs> they're just like, hey man, Vin Diesel just jumped, jumped two bridges and into a building in a in a Nissan, and that's fucking amazing. Like, I mean, sure, that yeah, I get it. Like, yeah. it's exciting for some people, and, but I, I mean, I'm not. I don't think that way. So I, yeah. I don't know. But I want to. I want to just quickly jump back to the when you said um, you were talking about like my work being influenced like west and east mm-hmm. and i think that there's something really important to be said that the people you collaborate with mm-hmm. means so much mm-hmm. because everyone yeah. knows you can't make a film alone yeah you know i mean i guess you yeah. you kind of can it could be a little bit shitty yeah but uh <laughs> like for me for the past you know 10 years i've been working with the same dop okay so christopher okay. moon he's an incredible cinematographer he shoots almost everything that I do and he working with him now I mean now we can communicate without speaking like when we're on set we know he knows what I want to achieve I know that he's always going to try to find the best way to do that and he'll bring new ideas to the table that I didn't think about and he'll frame up something and be like you know is this what you want and I'll say, ah, sort of, but like, let's try to do something a little bit different with it. And then he'll say, okay, cool, like, let's do this. And it, and he'll bring something to the table that, you know, I would have never thought about and, and it elevates the work even higher. And, you know, I think that when you find a working relationship with, especially as a director, with a DOP, and you guys can have that kind of like open discussion and and understand each other's sort of wavelength, it's the most important thing in film. Like, you can't do it without those kind of people. And so, also saves you some so time. So shout out to Chris. Yeah, shout out to you, Chris. <laughs> and it also saves you some time, right? Because you also, your workflow between like you and him, probably like very quickly, you understand and he understands you. And so you don't have to spend a lot of time like when you work with somebody who you had just met, you know? For sure. A lot of like, uh, a lot of like, like distances has been already cut uh, that's not saying we don't butt heads <laughs> we, I mean we've we have screaming matches with each yeah, other but yeah. it, it definitely it makes life so much easier when you know that you don't have to worry about is the image going to be amazing like mm-hmm. I know when he frames something up it's going to be amazing mm-hmm. so yeah and then I have to you know focus on directing actors Story. or you know the story or anything like that or in in a lot of cases because what we do here is a lot of commercial stuff is making sure that what the client is expecting of us is translated onto the screen mm-hmm. which is also why I mean just butt heads a lot <laughs> I, I'm curious like what, what kind of workflow do you have though because like when, when I saw some of the, the your works that Ibrahim showed me it's like like, like how we mentioned earlier when, when you shot these Middle Eastern uh, like elements in, in, in your commercial usually when I saw other people who, who don't really understand the culture the thing that they, they shoot they they took everything from face value and so it looked very cringe when I see it like I, I know someone who shot this he doesn't understand the culture but when I saw the things that you shot it's like I know that you have a deep understanding of what you're shooting so it doesn't look it doesn't have that weird 
you know, vibe about this film. It's like you're trying to show something that maybe you just learned about. So you just try to put it into camera. Like how, how's how's the process of you creating a commercial? Like do you start with the concept, the story, or do you start with framing? What, what is it like? Okay, well, I mean, first point I would say is that I am the type of person who wants to dive into a culture head first. And I want to know everything about it, and I want to be thoroughly ingrained in that and educated because it's the only way to truly experience something unique. So lucky for me, my wife was born here, and her family Mm. have been here since, I think, like the early 80s. And they've seen the city build and, you know, their contacts and their understanding of the country. So I, they were sharing that with me from a very early on time in our relationship. And and I also love exploring. So I would just get in my car, drive around the country, try and find abandoned buildings, try and find unique landscapes, that kind of stuff. Meeting Qatari people, trying to like spend time with them. Um, understand their culture from their point of view. I think that you can't truly translate that onto screen if you don't have that mm. and that education and I, that like firsthand experience. I, now, mm-hmm. to answer your, your question properly, like how do we start with commercials? So it's, it's a wildly different uh, genre than f- like traditional filmmaking mm-hmm. because you're dealing with corporate needs. So a very direct message from a client needs to come across in this. So whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, a telecoms company wants to make sure people know that they have the best network anywhere or an airline has the best service or, um, you know, any number of things that are like key selling points for that company. Now, we also work with agencies, so with, with uh, advertising agencies. So sometimes they'll have already sold a creative to their client before it comes to us. So they'll come to us and say, here's what the client likes. This is what they've accepted. This is what they're paying for. We want your director's treatment on that. And sometimes there's a lot of flexibility with what I'm allowed to do and and change. Mm -hmm. Other times I can't change anything. So then it just comes Mm -hmm. down to how do I work with these non-actors? Mm. Because in Qatar, there's really yeah. no actors. They're all just like oh. people, just people who look okay <laughs> on camera. And then also, how do I make a location really interesting? So, you know, I think the process from writing the treatment, getting it approved, going on location recce's, finding the most interesting parts of that location to stage scenes. Um, and then just, you know, trying to create dynamic compositions that I like, Mm -hmm. but also tick the boxes of the client. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's quite a, it's a power struggle at times. And it's also, you know, not, I never wanted to make commercials. Like I, I, as an American, you are bombarded with commercials. Like you have a TV show is 23 minutes. And the other seven minutes of that 30 minute slot are commercials. And you just hit with commercials all the time and you hate them. You know, you're just like, I don't want commercials. Like, just show me the show. And and I also, you know, I still like to hold on to those sort of like punk rock roots. And like, 
you know, fuck the system, you know, yeah. like, I don't want to buy your shit. <laughs> Capitalism is the devil, you know, all this kind of thing. Like, I don't want to help sell shit that I don't believe in. And, you know, at times you kind of have to, like, you have to put your, you know, your morals aside a little bit and, and mm. say, okay, well, you know what? I need to put food on the table for my yeah. daughter. I need to, mm. you know, make sure that this company is still up and running and I can pay people's salaries and, you know, so it, it's, it, it's, it's a difficult, balance, it was yeah. a difficult balance, but, but then there are times where a client comes to us because they love our style and they say, mm -hmm. just do what you do. You know, the for example, uh, I made a film for Mondrian Hotel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, yeah. and it ended up doing really well in like fashion film festival circuit and all this stuff, but they gave me full creative license to do whatever I wanted. And mm -hmm. I mean, I ran with that. Like nice. I brought a gazelle into their hotel and let it run around. And I brought horses into their ballroom. And I, you know, the craziest imagery I could think of because we don't get that freedom very often. I was like, we're going for it. And they were like, yes, we, we love it. Let's do it. And, uh, and I was like, holy shit, I can't believe they <laughs> let me do this. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, commercial, commercial filmmaking is, is a totally different beast. Mm. Yeah. I wonder how do you balance the the like do do you do any side project on your own without like just just you just go out and shoot some some stuff even now? Like I know you do it when 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 you were younger, but now that you're running a company, how do you release your your artistic passion? Well, I wish I did it more often, like to be honest, I I still write a lot of scripts and oh, you know, I have yeah. all the crew and the equipment and the means to make them. But it seems like I always help other people make their films rather than make my own. Um, oh, okay. So I've, I've sort of taken more of like a producer role when it comes to filmmaking lately. I want to I want to shift back, but yeah, I do I do some projects where it's just like a passion project, or I just want to I just want to do something. But I guess now the the way that I express creativity is with my daughter, like just hanging out with her and like drawing pictures and. You know, she paints my shoes for me, and you know, oh. we do like. You yeah, know, I, I saw, I saw your uh, your vans. Yeah, and I, I sort of like, I channel that energy into you know raising her and like trying to give her the best childhood possible, and you know, I don't know, maybe that's like, maybe every parent does that, but I find that I find that most rewarding, more rewarding than any film I've ever made or anything that I probably will make in the future. So. That's awesome. Also, that's for you, Kai, to take. <laughs> he has a he has what? a child as well. Uh, how old How uh, old is your kid? Nine months. Nine. Oh, yeah. Very fresh. <laughs> you, you're you're just entering the the early <laughs> stages, but I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah. I mean the the rewards, uh, it it's it's insane. The first time that that child tells you, "Daddy, I love you," or wants to give you a hug. Oh my god! Oh, dude, it, it blows your mind. It totally blows your mind. I'm already very emotional every time I see him, so like I, I can't wait for it. It's it's my son though; he's a boy. That's amazing. But you know what? I'll tell you what. Even still, like my daughter is now three and a half. There are times where I find myself like just walking into her room and sitting by her bed while she's asleep, and I just cry. And I just like yeah, I I, I cry a lot whenever I see him. I'll tell you what, man, you get real soft real fast. <laughs> I keep talking about like my punk rock roots and now I'm also talking about crying next to a sleeping child. 
yeah. I, I guess uh, should we should we do you have anything else, Kai? Should we? Wrap yeah, I it think up, I think it's a uh, spell time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like one last thing. What kind of advice do you have for young filmmakers? Uh, I guess you know running a business or, you know. Uh, well, first thing I would say, don't try to run a business <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because because that's where you stop making films. Mm-hmm. You know that it, it's your your whole mindset has to shift to be able to do that. Especially if you're, if the business is not started with your own money, mm. if you have like investors and stuff like that, yeah. then it's, but I would say, you know, for filmmakers, two things that I find really important. One, don't go to university. Mm. Don't go to film okay. school. Take the money, the insane amount of money that you would pay to a film school, buy yourself a camera and just go out and start shooting stuff learn as you go because one day with a camera in your hands and the complete freedom you will learn so much more about yourself than you will in years Mm -hmm. in school i do think that there is a there's a a very it's important to know the you know the technical aspects of film and film theory and all these kind but you can learn anything on youtube now you 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 can find out anything you want to know about film or cameras or editing on YouTube or you know master classes or any of this kind of stuff. The other thing I would say for you know young filmmakers or any filmmaker, I mean people that are even you know way more experienced than me is you just and to quote one of the most intelligent people I've ever met in my life, Asha Khan, mm. always try. Mm. The only way you will learn is by trying and you will only be able to learn from your mistakes. Mm. Go out there, do it. If you think it's right at the time, do it. And then if it turns out to be wrong, fix it the next time around. Nothing's ever going to be perfect. Every film you ever make, you will hate eventually Mm. and you'll you'll want to make a better one. And that will keep driving you forward. If you make mm-hmm. a masterpiece in your first film, which is like almost impossible to do, mm-hmm. you'll never be able to reach that level again yeah. because you've set a, yeah. a bar for yourself of like perfection. It's very Nothing, hard to reach. Nothing's yeah. perfect. Just do it. Mm-hmm. Figure out what works, what doesn't work. Correct it for the next time. Don't get hung up on a project for too long. You know, you got to close that chapter eventually and move on to the next one. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So much stuff to take away. And yeah, thank you so much, Justin, for being on the show. Uh, I also like to, you know, I hate I hate the film school, but, you know, every time I, I also think that it's also maybe like good for making connections sometimes because we also met at film school. We met in an English class, yeah. you imagine? But I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Like, uh, I think like a lot of there's a lot of bullshit around the system when it comes to film school. And that takes away a lot of your time. You know, perhaps investing in yourself by buying a camera and going out and trying and learning new things. Perhaps that's the most optimal way. But yeah, thank you so I much. I could be totally wrong too. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, 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 I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. I mean, me too, I agree. Yeah. We both agree probably. Uh, <laughs> your last guest would be like, what are you saying? <laughs> what are you out of your mind? <laughs> but uh, listen, I want to say too, to, to your last guest, like that was an incredible, I mean, I was driving my car going, I am so dumb. Like, this is like, I, I love listening to this. This is so Guy, brilliant. Guy, you should send, her, send uh, this to you. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I should tell her that. I should tell her. Yeah.
Maya, would you like to say anything, Kai? Uh, no, thank you so much. Like, I, I, I love seeing people who are passionate about film because I, I can like truly see that from Justin, and I, it's like I'm really happy to talk to people who are who are passionate because I don't see a lot of people like <laughs> like you out there. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate thank you so it. much. It's a pleasure, honestly. It's, uh, it's an honor for you to be here and on our humble show. You know. Yeah. So yeah. Right. Thank you so much. Cool. Okay. Thank you. Uh,